Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, The Report I Heard, we're looking at the story of Solomon being visited by the Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10, and how we, like Solomon, sometimes seek to impress more than live authentically. Let's get started. Not much is known about the Queen of Sheba, not even her name or even precisely where Sheba is, although many scholars say it's where modern-day Yemen is. What we can deduce from scripture is that she traveled a very long distance with a caravan of valuable commodities like spices and gems because she had heard wonderful things about King Solomon. And there were many things to say about Solomon. Remember that God gave him wisdom beyond anyone had ever seen, and in addition to it, so much wealth. The temple we talked about in the previous episode was a magnificent sight to behold, and his palace even more so. And the news of Solomon's opulence had spread throughout the known world. The thing about reports, though, is that they are often exaggerated. Very few reports tell it exactly as it is. It happens all the time. Has anyone ever hyped up a movie for you, and then when you watched it, you were less than impressed? The Queen of Sheba probably heard tall tales about the splendor of Solomon and his kingdom to the extent it was inconceivable to the human mind that a single man could possess such riches and knowledge, which is probably why she decided to make the journey in the first place. She wanted to check it out for herself. Again, this wasn't just curiosity. She traveled forever to come see Solomon. She probably thought if he was anywhere near as fabulous as the report said, he would make a good political ally at the very least. So she arrives in the capital city and the Bible says she talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Now, we don't know what kinds of questions she asked him, but we can imagine they were questions related to politics, philosophy, ethics, and the like, or maybe just riddles and trivia. Who knows? She was trying to get a sense of exactly how wise this man really was. And there are a lot of folktales regarding what riddles the queen asked Solomon. I used to have a storybook about Solomon when I was a kid that tells the story of how The Queen of Sheba asked the king to distinguish the real flower from a bunch of artificial flowers. And without skipping a beat, he orders the palace windows to be opened and a butterfly flutters in and sits on a flower. And Solomon deems that flower to be the real flower. Now, I don't know if that actually happened because scripture doesn't say, but we do find that whatever she had asked him, the queen of Sheba was satisfied by all of Solomon's responses. She finds that even the things she had heard, as exaggerated as they probably were, did not do the man in his kingdom any justice. We can read in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 6-7, through 7, She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. 
Whatever report she heard compelled her to make this exhausting trip with an entire company of attendants and merchandise in tow, so it was an excellent report to start. But she says that the report didn't convey even half of Solomon's wisdom and wealth. But she doesn't just tell him how great he is. She also gives her compliments to two distinct entities. In verse 8, she says, How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And in verse 9, she says, Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Because of all these things that Solomon possessed, she says that everyone around him is also blessed to reap the benefits of his grandeur. Moreover, she praises Solomon's God for giving him these things in the first place. Even she, who was not a follower of the same God, had to admit that what Solomon had was not an ordinary get. It was a divine gift, and moreover, she said that both his wealth wealth and wisdom were wonderful tools to execute justice and righteousness. But if you follow the rest of Solomon's story into the next chapter, that is not solely how Solomon chose to use the things God had given him. If we continue reading in the Bible, we find that Solomon squanders his God-given wisdom and wealth in pursuit of other pleasures. God had strictly warned him against intermarrying with women from other nations, and they would surely turn his heart away from God. And he disregards this command and does it anyway. 700 times. Yes, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and they each turned his heart after other gods, and he built places of worship for them as well. After Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel is divided in two and eventually are conquered by neighboring kingdoms like Assyria and Babylon, who destroyed that grand temple and cart the people off into exile. It's quite a turn, isn't it? Solomon, even with everything a man could possibly have in the world, managed to mess up royally, excuse the pun, and destroy his father David's legacy. If someone like Solomon, with all his influence and resources, could not stay on the straight and narrow, what hope is there for the rest of us? Now note the trajectory of Solomon's tenure as king, And it starts to sound pretty predictable. He begins as a child, basically having been handed the kingdom by his father and through the advocacy of his mother and prophets like Nathan. And unsure of how to run a kingdom, he prays for wisdom above all else and God obliges, giving him unparalleled wisdom along with all manners of prosperity. Initially, he credits everything to God's goodness and faithfulness, But somewhere along the way, he loses sight of that. He starts believing he is the reason for his own success. He neglects God's commands. He indulges in whatever luxuries he wants. I mean, he is the king after all. And at the end of it all, he brings about the downfall of this kingdom he spent his entire life building. 
Now, it's no wonder then that in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that he has seen and tried everything under the sun, and he says that everything is meaningless. He compares everything to chasing the wind, which is such an apt metaphor because what good is chasing the wind? You can't catch it in your hand, right? So then I feel this story and the conclusion of Solomon's entire narrative calls us, among other things, to these two things. Firstly, when it comes to telling others about God, it's not about your presentation more than it is about your representation. And I mean this in both a collective and individual model. So this applies to both how we do church and how we live our lives as Christians independently. And we usually oscillate up and down a strange spectrum of how we should appeal to others as followers of God. On one end, we take the seeker-friendly approach. Solomon's extravagance is a great allegory for what happens when we immerse ourselves in the prosperity gospel that tells us to get rich and famous for God. I mean, it's not a bad goal in theory, but in practice, it rarely works out that way. Churches and individuals who buy into this ideology end up spending so much time trying to make ourselves look good that we neglect to do good. And we want so many people to like us that we end up being ineffective as messengers of God. And on the other end, people who scoff at the seeker-friendly model then enact the seeker-hostile approach, where they turn Christianity into an elite membership that keeps more people out than it allows in. They start condemning people and their sins and make coming to church super uncomfortable. I knew a pastor who would often say that the gospel is inherently offensive and that if we're not offending someone with our message, then we're not doing it right. And I guess I can understand why he would think that considering how it was scandalous enough to merit the death penalty in the case of Christ. But too often, many of us use this kind of logic to stubbornly hold on to what we think we know when God is shifting the paradigm and giving us new insight into the kingdom of God. So which is right? Or do we need to find a happy middle? Well, none of the above, really. We are putting our focus in the wrong place. We're putting it in the presentation of the gospel. And we can package our message with all the frills we want to attract as many people as possible or as harsh as possible to keep out the posers. But what we say is not as important as whether or not we actually do what is being said. It's about the representation of the gospel. And what that means is, are we living out the things we say? Of course, there's no way we can be perfectly righteous 100% of the time. We are human after all. But when we tell others that God is love, are we being loving ambassadors of Christ? When we talk about God's forgiveness, do we also extend forgiveness ourselves? How many people do you know have fallen away from God or have been repulsed by Christians because of their quote-unquote hypocrisy? I mean, to be fair, all humans are capable of hypocrisy, but Christians are called out on it more because we often talk one way but walk another. 
the story of Solomon calls us to take the resources given to us and invest it not in bettering how we appear to others, but in how we can better embody the ways of God. And secondly, Solomon's story reminds us that we don't follow people, we follow Jesus. And I know some of you having heard our episode on David last month, we're struggling to reconcile the image of David as the pious lover of God with the heinous assault on Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. And David is hailed as one of, if not the most righteous man in scripture, the man after God's own heart. But knowing even he was capable of things most of us would never even dream of committing, it makes us wonder exactly who in the Bible is worthy enough role model in the faith, because even Solomon doesn't make the cut. And this is important to us because we are always looking for people to follow and emulate, even if we're not aware of that. From political figures to religious leaders, we want to put our faith in someone and stand behind everything they say. And the moment when they inevitably fail, all of that unravels, and then we are left traumatized at all the trust that was broken in that idol we have made of that person. Solomon was someone whose renown was spreading by the minute to every corner of the world. People were making pilgrimages to witness it all. But in the end, he was not someone people could have looked up to when it came to matters of governance or in the ways of God. The Bible tells us of his idolatry, his lust, and even in his unfair treatment of his people, forcing many of them into slave labor. And this is probably why, perhaps after having done some soul-searching at the end of his life, he says the following in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The author of Everything is Meaningless and There is Nothing New Under the Sun gives this one definitive statement, Fear God and keep his commandments. And Jesus reinforces this in the New Testament. At one point, people were demanding signs from Jesus to prove that he really was of God. And Jesus tells them they don't need a sign because what good is a sign? What will that do for that person? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, the queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Solomon's fame was enough for the Queen of Sheba to pay him a visit and even directly give praise to a God she didn't even believe in. But it didn't go beyond that. She went back to her kingdom, no closer to knowing Solomon's God, let alone believing in him herself. Even the single most impressive man in human history wasn't a sign enough of God. But one greater than Solomon was here and is still here, in fact. Solomon's wisdom spanned the universe, but Jesus was there when the universe was created. Solomon's wealth exceeded any other kingdom, but all of it belongs to Jesus. 
Solomon continued the line of David as his successor, but Jesus was the king from the line of David who would restore humanity's relationship with God and provide access to the Father. Now, we might wish the story of Solomon had a happier ending, but the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the stories of our usual Bible heroes, and their numerous flaws and failings are described sometimes in too much detail to show us that they are not, in fact, the main characters in any of these stories. God is the ultimate hero who works in, through, and in spite of sinful people to redeem them and accomplish his purposes. So put your trust in God and represent him well today and every day. Moving forward, strive to be the kind of person the Queen of Sheba had proclaimed Solomon to be based on the report she heard and what she saw with her own eyes someone who can maintain justice and righteousness. Let's pray. God, increasingly more in this decade, we hear so many stories and news of how so many of God's people are failing in our witness. The report is not good. Churches are being investigated for corruption and abuse of all kinds. Individuals are falling away from the church due to the resulting disappointment and disillusionment. We are sorry, God, for overshadowing you with our selfish, worldly antics. Teach us to be better representatives of the gospel by living it out the way your son Jesus did, and to follow in his footsteps more than relying on the counsel of others. Help us to use all of the good things you have given us to advance your message and to walk in your light. In Jesus' name.